1: Welcome back to the program. Stacey Washington here, and I'm so excited to have our guest. This is a bucket list item for me, getting to interview someone whose books I've read and whose columns I've read and whose commentary I've really not only come to respect, but has challenged me individually as a conservative free market thinker. Our guest today is Dr. Walter E. Williams. He's an American economist, commentator, and academic. He's the John M. Olin Distinguished Professor of Economics at George Mason University, syndicated columnist, author of many books, hundreds of publications, and a classical liberal and libertarian conservative. His writings often appear at townhall.com, WND, Jewish World Review, and he's a nationally syndicated columnist. Dr. Williams, thank you for joining us today.
0: Well, thank you very much for inviting me.
1: So. I wanted to talk to you about the, this is this is a conversation that you and I've been having unbeknownst to you for years, because I sometimes pull up your videos and me and my husband and the kids will sit in the living room and listen to you talk about economics and um, jobs and, and really the state of American affairs as our culture kind of moves towards less freedom. How do you articulate and you know, when you're when someone comes up to you and says, why do you believe in limited government? What do you say back to them?
0: Well, I, I say that, uh, like our the founders of our nation, that they they recognize that uh, throughout history and even today that that government is the is the main um, um, a persecutor of, uh, of of mankind. But on the other hand, we do need some government. That is, we need. Uh, uh, that is, we need government to protect you and I against uh, protect you and me against uh, people violating our our property rights, and so uh, so we do need a limited government, and that was the government envisioned by the uh, founders. If you if you read through the uh, the Constitution of the United States, it shows roughly uh, uh, there uh, twenty one enumerated uh, uh, things that Congress can do, and that is he wanted to keep government as small as possible and uh and and so whenever government grows uh it it grows at the expense of our liberties and and um and i believe it was thomas uh, jefferson said that the natural progress of things is for a government to gain ground and for liberty yielding and in fact that's what we see we see government gaining ground and liberty yielding
1: so when you talk about government gaining ground and liberty yielding, I have a, a, a weird dichotomy. What happens to me is I'll, I'll get on a tear. You know, I'm, I'm looking at, um, economic numbers and I'm seeing that, yes, the economy is growing, but we have unfunded liabilities. The U.S. government does, and we're borrowing more than ever. So I will talk about, there's many, many programs from Heritage and you name it, lots of policy papers that describe how we could actually draw government down by tightening our Unfunded liabilities, which one of which is is social security, you know, so basically raising the age at which a person would be eligible for it. And not, we're not talking about huge jumps, just gradually um, increasing the age because people are living longer. And I immediately will have a deluge of phone calls of people who are bedrock conservatives, you know, some of them are wearing Trump t shirts as they call. And they say, How can you? advocate for us not to get what we've paid into that's not fair so people say they want limited government dr williams but when it comes time to actually getting it or doing something to get it they often then put their heels down they don't want to do it
0: well in in terms of uh, in terms of social security that is uh it's it's kind of like a a a promise or contract that government made uh, that is a I got my Social Security uh, card in 1948 on my first job. <laughs> and uh, the Social Security system said, well, gee, when you're uh, the contract that they made with me, they said, well, when you're 65, you can start drawing out the money uh, that you uh, put into it. Now, if someone says, well, oh, well, no, we, know, we were just kidding, uh, we'll do it at 80 when you're 80 or 90. <laughs> and so <laughs> the, if you increase the age of uh, receiving Social Security, you get out of the problem, but that's not Social Security is just one of the problems uh, and that we have in our country uh, with regard to government and the and, and matter of fact, it points to a, a moral problem that we have that is, uh, most Americans support the idea of Congress taking the earnings of one American. And giving them to another American to whom they do not belong, whether you 're talking about business bailouts, uh, crop subsidies, food stamps, welfare, foreign aid, et cetera, et cetera that's what government does and I think that um, uh, if, if if that you know I think two thirds through three quarters of federal spending can be described as government taking the property of one american and giving it to another to whom it does not belong. And so and social security is just one of those things that uh, the government is doing. And so but <clears throat> but most americans think that is okay. That is if i privately as an individual did the same thing that congress was doing taking what belongs to one person and giving it to another, i'd be condemned as a thief and i would go to jail. But, however, (laughs) acts that are immoral when done privately uh, do not become moral when they're done collectively by government.
1: I love that point because one thing that I, it falls on deaf ears when I debate any person who claims to be a Democrat and we turn to the subject of government taking money from me to give to their pet causes, they immediately become indignant because in their mind, it shouldn't even be an issue of me objecting. I shouldn't even be allowed to say that I don't want higher taxes because I think government is ineffective and the proof is in the pudding. And, and you mentioned... Um, the, This this government edict where government takes from one to give to another here in the city of St. Louis, we have a rampant crime problem and it's driven in part by illegal immigration and turf wars over who's going to deal drugs on what corner. And a lot of what we see in the way of uh, crime prevention has fallen by the wayside because the inner city has the highest level of poverty and also, um, you know, familial degradation, etc. But there's there's another thing at play. We have a mayor who's holding back funds so that she can give the appearance of a surplus. And the funds that she's holding back actually happens to be the exact amount of money that the St. Louis City Police Department is asking for in another tax increase from voters who do not live in the city of St. Louis. And so in arguments about that, the same thing comes into play. White Republicans, of which I'm not white. I'm a Republican, but I'm not white. My taxes would be increased. I advocate against that policy, and I'm lumped in with people that Democrats say are racist that don't want to see a safer cities and streets in, uh, in in St. Louis. How how do you argue against? Well, first of all, it's lunacy. But how do you argue against that?
0: Well, um, I, money does not make uh, uh, safer streets. Uh, I mean, it is a it is a social problem. That is there. <coughs> the unfortunate thing is that many people. Uh, look at cities like uh, uh, st louis and baltimore and chicago and look at the very in philadelphia might add look at the very high uh, crime rate and they think it's always been that way but it's it's entirely new uh... the kinds of things that we're seeing uh... people doing the kinds of crimes that people are uh, committing and, and particularly among black people it's it's almost it's entirely new um, and a lot of it has to do with the with the breakdown of the of the black family or actually breakdown is not the proper word to use it's because the family doesn't uh, form in the first place and when you have uh, high rates of illegitimacy and when you have 16, 17 year year uh, 18-year-old single women raising kids when they're really kids themselves, uh, you're you're, going to run into problems. And and as I point out in many of my articles, that the the black family was uh, intact for a long time until we got into the welfare state. Illegitimacy, Illegitimacy among blacks it right now is around seventy five percent and higher in some cities that's seventy five percent nationally but in nineteen thirty eight the illegitimacy rate was eleven percent among uh blacks and three percent among whites and today it's thirty percent among uh, whites as well you know and seventy five percent among blacks and so there's a breakdown in the in in the basic unit of society, and we shouldn't be surprised by the outcomes and the outcomes uh, and to and to turn around those outcomes is going to take much more than money, uh, and and money is 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 not the solution. That is, if you if you if you tripled the budget of St. Louis, uh, you you would find roughly the same things going on, um, and then also the. Uh, Uh, The the police are not arresting people and putting them in jail uh, in the numbers that they should, because we have, uh, you know, uh, criminals preying on the the law-abiding sections of the black community. That's not only in St. Louis, but in other cities as well. And so I, I, I don't you know people uh, play the game that uh, that money is the problem, but money is not the problem is not the answer. Uh, money. I'm sorry, people play the game that money is the solution, but money is not the solution. And indeed, uh, it turns out that since 1965, when Johnson declared war on poverty, we've spent as a nation at the federal, state and local levels of government 22 trillion dollars. On on various program on programs that have uh, the justification of fighting poverty, and uh, and we just have not seen that much success.
1: So and. Uh, clearly, the answer is we need more intact families, and that's that's not a, a specific problem to Black people only, but it happens to have a much higher statistical rate in the Black community. But any mention of that, any truth telling, tends to get people labeled as opposed to ideas heard and answered. And it's this is a tough problem. This is something that happens um, over generations, so it takes time to write. Uh, you know, negative societal impacts you it you can't just fix that with one law which is a, a kind of a recurring theme from democrats and and people who practice progressivism they just want this one magical law to fix things but over the course of the intervening 40 but 40 years since we've seen the black marriage rate really plummet there have been plenty of laws passed and none of them have helped with that situation
0: no that's that's right and uh and and matter of fact uh, some of the people on the on the left and some of the progressives, uh, they they point they they've said, and particularly Andrew Cherlov, he's a professor of sociology at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, he says that um, uh, <clears throat> that you know having fathers in the home is not the problem of black people. Is that the that they need to get government money? In other words, he's saying that. Uh, he was saying that government money is a substitute for fathers, <laughs> and, and, and I don't believe that at all.
1: Well, it, it hasn't worked so far. The government money has been there for a, a, at least long enough for us to see whether or not that works, and it hasn't. It has not brought about the the results that they say. Um, so I, I'm turning as as we're moving through the interview here, and we have some minutes left, and I I really want to discuss your latest article. So you are a syndicated columnist, and your latest piece is criminologists mislead us. And you're you're talking about a significant bias among criminologists, and that the political leanings of academic criminologists is is to the left, and that impacts how they report and what Americans you know eventually believe about crime is impacted by their liberal bias.
0: Oh, that's that's absolutely right. And then according to uh, the authors of the article that was quoting. Uh, a uh, Professor Wright and Professor Delisi, uh they point out that uh the uh, the ratio of liberal uh, criminologists on college campuses is uh something like uh thirty uh, leftists or thirty liberals to one uh conservative. And and as a result of that particular bias uh, the, the criminologists, they don't, they, 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 they mislead people, uh, and they don't talk about the, uh, the, the, the many things that, that need talking about. Uh, for example, um, they say uh, Wright and Deese say that uh, that criminologists avoid discussing anything having to do with the relationship between race and crime and and some of it uh, they just don 't mention at all, such as the 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 knockout game mm. or the polar bear hunting that uh, black youths do, and where they um, they they look for white people just to walk up to them for no reason whatsoever. It just knock them out cold, just to show that uh, that, that that they can do it. Um, the 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 uh, the, the, the they, they make up things like, well, the high incarceration rate uh, in in our country uh, takes away um, um, you know men out of the community. And this is harmful, taking men out of the community. Uh, and they say things like, uh, uh, stripping, uh, black men of voting rights and, and destabilizing their families. And they're saying this as if these people who are incarcerated, these, these, uh, these hoodlums and criminals, that they bring stability to the neighborhood. If anything, they bring instability to the neighborhood. And so, the, the the criminologists uh, uh, are not doing us a favor at all because they're not telling the truth. They're they're politically correct people.
1: Well, what kills me about that is since black on black crime, black people have the highest rate of interracial crime. Which you point out here in your piece, it means that black communities are less safe when judges and sentencing authorities give. Black criminals a smack on the wrist. They're basically telling black people who've committed crimes, these are criminals, they're a danger to the community, that they're free to go back out and reoffend, and the reoffend rate is even higher. Each successive time they're given a smack on the wrist and sent back into the community, the offense that they commit is worse than the time before. A study was done on that, and it included the city of St. Louis, and we had this sentencing court that was located out in the county but dealt with cases out of the inner city, and they were giving people smacks on the risk for rape, armed robbery, um, brutal beat downs. And of course, the offenders then would go out and if it was rape before it would be armed robbery the next time smack on the wrist the next time it's, you know, double homicide. We're, we're not being done any favors by these people. And it spills over into other communities that are adjacent, increasing the amount of crime that's there.
0: Uh, that that is right, and and many of these uh, judges and and liberals, uh, they would not begin to tolerate to live under the conditions that many. Uh, poor and law-abiding black people uh, live under. That is, if these criminals were coming out to the higher-income neighborhoods, raising all the hell that they raise in their communities, uh, I bet they would not get slaps on the wrist. (coughs) And, 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 And the average American has absolutely no idea of how... Uh, black people have to live, uh, law-abiding, law-abiding poor black people have to live. You uh, know things like uh, putting their children in the bathtub on Friday and Saturday nights to go to sleep so they won't get hit by stray bullets, or or, or serving uh, dinner on the floor, staying away from the windows so they won't get hit by stray bullets, and. And and the kind of things that that uh, parents have to worry about today, both black and white parents, but mostly black parents, are just unheard of. You know, years ago, uh, I'm I'm in my 84th year of life, and so when when I went out and my sister went out somewhere, the the admonition or the warning from my, my my mother was, "Look both ways when you cross the street. You don't go want to get uh, run down." Now the the uh the, the, the warning to kids today is to try to avoid being shot i mean they're, they're teachers uh that up in, in the, some schools in Chicago they map out ways for kids to come to school so that they won't get shot or injured or robbed and that is absolutely gross and the and the people who go who call for um, uh, reduce uh, uh, sentences for the criminals, they would not begin to live under those conditions. They would not accept that at all that is you if you ask them these people these these liberal professors uh, or these liberal criminologists uh, uh, that are that are uh, talking this nonsense about black crime, if you ask them, would they send their kid to a school where where there's violence, where, where policemen have to walk up and down the hallways, they say no. Would, or would they live in neighborhoods where they had to have bars on, and up at the windows and serve dinner on the floor? They wouldn't begin to do that kind of stuff, but they, that kind of stuff is okay in their minds for poor, law-abiding black people.
1: So the answer obviously is fatherhood, getting, getting the government out of the role of fathering and being with families. And I've spoken to, uh, you know, leaders of organizations who they go in and they speak to legislators in individual states about their policies and try to get the policies to kind of match a more limited government orientation. And even in states with Republican controlled legislatures like Missouri, they find a little bit of pushback because there's this ingrained thought that In the black community, any solution has to involve the government coming in and paying for something, funding something, starting something, as opposed to private sector groups and organizations and simply communities saying enough is enough and making the changes. So as we're going out here, what, if you could, if you were, you know, you've been alive for 84 years, so you're a sage at this point. You have lived, (laughs) you've been successful, and you have the knowledge base and education to be able to speak to this with authority. If you were in charge, what would be the maybe top two things, top three things? What would you do first, second and third to start to turn the ship in a different direction for all the people that we've been talking about that we care about and want to see better lives?
0: Well, I, I think that uh, the, one of the big one of the biggest problems in, in the many uh, black neighborhoods is crime. And I would be I would be very very strong on uh, on getting criminals in jail off the streets, because crime not only has a a, um, a physical uh, dimension to it, such as people getting hurt, some people crying over their dead loved ones, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but it makes economic uh, activity in uh, it, it, it. It makes it, it has the effect of a law that uh, that bans economic activity. Uh, that is, you find uh, supermarkets not willing to locate in high crime neighborhoods, and and uh, and so what 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 that means is law abiding poor black people have to go out to suburban malls unless they want to pay the high price of their mom and pa shops. So I think. Dealing with crime is the is the first order business, and then uh, doing something about education. That is, if I were the grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan, and I wanted to sabotage any means for blacks to gain academic excellence, I could not think of a better way than the public school system in most of our cities. And so, something needs to be uh, done with the education in the, in our in our city, and I think that. Uh, giving uh, black people uh, vouchers or tuition ta- or having a tuition tax credit would be one of the ways to reform uh, education. And, and you see, it's very it's very easy to see uh, uh, some of the problems if you if you go to p- a poor neighborhood. You might see some nice cars, maybe some nice clothing, maybe even some a few nice houses, but no nice schools. How come not at least some nice schools? Well, <clears throat> it, it, it turns out that cars, clothing, housing, and, and booze are sold are by the market mechanism, but the schools are delivered. Through the political mechanism, and when people are poor and uh, and, uh, and a relative mi- minority, uh, you don't want things distributed through the me- uh, political mechanism where uh, majority rules. So anyway, I, I, I do something about the the educational status, and then I think that there's a huge job for the churches and other private organizations in the black community to start. Um, um, Resurrecting, uh, morality to condemn, uh, out of wedlock, uh, births as opposed to celebrating them. And, and we, we just have to recover some of our moral standing that, that of years and years ago that explains so much of success that black people as a group have made, uh, since, uh, emancipation. That if we have the recover the values of our great grandparents and 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 matter of fact if you look at you take a person a black person who died in the 1940s or 1950s uh, and uh, and who was participating in civil rights struggles trying to get black kids uh, the educational opportunities of everybody else if he were to magically come back today. He would be amazed at what goes on in black communities, what goes on in black schools, and where uh, kids are beating up teachers and threatening teachers, and and it, it's uh, the the conduct of many black people today constitutes a gross betrayal to our ancestors who made who who gave up uh, blood, sweat, and tears to try to create the opportunities
1: that are available today but not being used. Wow. Okay, so you, your third one is one that I I talk about here often on the show, Dr. Williams, and I, I, I often feel like um, it, the ineffective nature of the outreach by the church in the inner cities. Churches on every corner, but not very many people in the pews and, and a lack of outreach, meaning members going out and doing some of the things you're talking about, is a huge part of what we've seen The degradation in the inner city it comes from some of it comes from that um so to hear you highlight that as well it just it reaffirms i i'm on a mission to get people to understand that there's a connection between morality and prosperity it there always has been there always will be um and so it's it's just been such a pleasure to speak with you i'm i'm excited about this that i've actually gotten to interview you now so i'm i can cross you off my list but that doesn't mean we won't be calling on you again and asking for more of your uh, your wisdom and and expertise here.
0: Okay, Doctor Washington, it's was a pleasure talking to you.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Doctor Williams. You know what really gets a party started? Indoor baseball. Yeah, just find a broom or a pool cue, and you can use, like, anything as a ball. Cans, bottles, shoes. Hey, bro, toss me that avocado. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Underage drinking and driving, the ultimate party foul. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
0: I'm little teapot, short and stout
1: here is my handle and here is my spell. no dad like this when i get all steamed up then i shout tip me over it and-
0: this is wwe superstar roman reigns it only takes a moment to make a moment
1: take time to be a dad today Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
0: One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy. Your football buddy. Or you, your best man. Your worst man. You, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners.
1: Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -hmm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.
0: Okay, kids, dad's going to teach you how to dance. First, spread your feet apart. Then, uh, pump your knee, nod your head, uh, shake your hips, uh, and bite your lip ever so slightly. Now, with one hand in the air, point at people with the other hand. I call that the rock star.
1: Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids.
0: Now, make a face like it just smells something bad. Visit fatherhood.gov.
1: Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Stacey on the Right.
1: Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. I had such a fantastic time interviewing Dr. Williams. And I could have talked to him for a straight hour, but the man is busy. And so we were glad to have him on for that time. Um, I want to ask you to please go to listen.staceyontheright.com. That is where you can find the podcast, you can share them, and you can subscribe so you don't miss them when we upload, especially when we upload bonus content. Like sometimes I go on other shows, and when I do, I can uh, put that into the podcast as well so you have a chance to listen to, uh, maybe I'm interviewed by someone or maybe I'm guest hosting. These things happen, so you can get that content. All of it is over at listen.staceyontheright.com. So uh in the show notes, you'll see, a link to the latest column by Dr. Williams, which is called Criminologists Mislead Us. And he discusses this bias. Um It's among criminologists. So criminologists study crime. And if they were to study it in an impartial, neutral, balanced manner, meaning they just report what they find, it would make it possible for Americans to get this really true picture of what crime is in America. But it would put some unfortunate light upon differences in crime. The black community in America commits the most crime in America. So is is that something that we should run from or should we report on it and be very, very strong in condemning it so that we can start to see some change? I thought it was interesting that he said, first off, get criminals off the streets. So no more smacks on the wrist. Number two, reforming education, because people who have the ability to read and write at grade level and finish high school have a much, it's, it's like such a dramatic decrease in the chance that they'll be caught up in criminal activity. It's, it's, it is amazing. Education eliminates so many opportunities for people to become criminals. And then lastly, churches resurrecting um, this really negative view of out of wedlock births instead of celebrating it and spreading around the, the, the negative impacts of it. How about saying it's a bad thing to have kids out of wedlock? It doesn't mean the kids are bad. It doesn't mean that you can't go on to improve your life and become a very functioning, contributing member of society, but it does mean that it's not something we want to promote. We want to have fewer out of wedlock births. Pretty amazing. Um, so it was good to speak with him. And I want to just give you a little bit from his article. So he has a column. It's now she's syndicated in one of the places you can find his column. If, if first of all, you should check your local newspaper or your um, local weekly. So we have a weekly newspaper here. It's called West News Magazine. And it's delivered to us for free once a week. And his column is in there. <laughs> so I, that's how I get to read it. But if you want to find it online, you can always go to jewishworldreview.com. They have his column there every week. He's one of their featured columnists and you can read it. Um, So this one, he talks about the bias among criminologists. He talks about liberal criminologists outnumbering their conservative counterparts by a ratio of 30 to 1. Um, And that ideology almost perfectly predicts the position of criminologists on issues from gun control to capital punishment to harsh sentencing. Liberal criminologists march in step for gun control, oppose punitive prison sentences, and are vehemently against the death penalty. So they study crime, they see the impacts of crime on communities, yet they advocate for more crime by refusing to support measures that actually reduce crime. Pretty stunning revelations that he's sharing here. Um, he goes on to say that in 1981, less than 10% of those arrested for sexual assault were sentenced to prison, and those who were sentenced served an average of 3.4 years. Liberal criminologists probably believe that light sentencing for murders and rapists is just. Well... It's not just. And I think the point that Dr. Williams is making here that he made so well on the program is that we've seen a a change in the way Americans talk about crime. There's an almost pathological refusal to discuss crime in honest terms, meaning who's committing the crime? Why are they committing the crime? Why is it so rampant in certain communities and not in others? And why is it that people would advocate for situations such as what happens, what is going on currently in the black community? Why would experts, people with PhDs, advocate for that kind of stuff when they wouldn't put up with it themselves? As he so aptly put, they wouldn't live in neighborhoods like the ones in the inner city, but they advocate for policies that entrench those kinds of neighborhoods. Their existence is entrenched because of these policies that come out of the way that criminologists talk about and report on crime. So fascinating article. His articles are always the perfect length. I always read them and think, oh... Okay, it's never where you're reading it and reading it and thinking, oh, geez, it's this article is fantastic. So it's in the links over at the show. Um, Now I want to get to a few other things. And oh, by the way, I have to correct. Obviously, you guys know I'm not a doctor. Uh, Dr. Williams was so kind to come on the show. And um, but I I don't have that as one of my things that I can claim. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about um, our online social media giants are still being so incredibly Loose with our data. I want to start out with two stories in this vein for today. One is about Facebook, of course, because you can't talk about data breaches and not have Facebook come into the, into play. YouTube is also in play. So YouTube is going to pay 170 million dollars to settle claims that it violated child privacy laws. 170 million dollars is nothing to them. First of all, I can't even believe that's like that's like saying, oh, you're going to pay me some pocket change for you know doing something wrong. Does that even put a dent in anything that they do? I think not. So according to this, the Federal Trade Commission alleged that YouTube violated the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, which is known as COPPA, C-O-P-P-A. The settlement announced on Wednesday was passed in a 3-2 vote by the commissioners along party lines. The two Democrats voted against it, saying it did not go far enough to punish YouTube. Oh, wow. So I find myself in the same spot as the Democrats on the panel? Wow. Um, so, Google's YouTube will pay $170 million to settle allegations that they earn millions by illegally collecting personal information from children without the consent of the children's parents. And this is why. So, you can use YouTube, you can view videos on YouTube, you can enjoy YouTube without actually having an account. But the minute you let your child sign up for an account, you're exposing their data to someone. YouTube that doesn't exactly respect the rights of the adults that use the service. So why would they respect the rights of the children? So shares of Google parent company Alphabet were up by 1.1% at the end of trading on Wednesday, even after the news. The settlement requires Google and YouTube to pay $136 million to the FTC and $34 million to New York for allegedly violating COPA. $136 million is the largest amount the FTC has ever obtained since Congress enacted the law in 1998. YouTube touted its popularity with children to prospective corporate clients, wrote FTC chairman Joe Simons, who voted in favor of the settlement. Yet when it came to complying with COPA, the company refused to acknowledge that portions of its platform were clearly directed to kids. There is no excuse for YouTube's violation of the law. So if what we're looking at is this, it's it's a dichotomy. We want the online social media giants to uh, operate. We want them to operate above the law, you know, not above the law, but within the law. We want them within the, the scope of the laws and regulations that govern their activities. We don't want them censoring and we want them to protect users' private data. It seems like an impossible mix because they haven't been able to do it thus far. And I think there's a certain unwillingness on their part. They feel like they're outside of what the government can really control. They feel like they're bigger than the government. That's why they try to impact social policy and impact the elections, because they're bigger than any one group of American people or our elected officials. And there has to be a way to um, change that going forward. So another quote from this piece is by New York Attorney General Letitia James. She said in a statement following the announcement of the settlement of the fine, um, that Google and YouTube knowingly and illegally monitored, tracked and served targeted ads to young children just to keep advertising dollars rolling in. These companies put children at risk and abuse their power, which is why we are imposing major reforms to their practices and making them pay one of the largest settlements for a private matter in U S history. Hmm. So YouTube actually marketed itself to Mattel and Hasbro as the leader, quote unquote, in reaching children aged six to 11. Yet in one instance, the company told an advertising company that it did not have users younger than 13 on its platform, and therefore channels on the platform did not need to comply with COPA. In a blog post on Wednesday, YouTube said it's taking steps to address the concerns raised over their practices. So they basically are, are admitting that at one point, their main selling point factor, whatever, the way that they describe themselves, is a place that is a safe place for people over the age of 13. And you and I both know the content on YouTube is, it's hardly what could be called safe. It's profanity laced. It's full of, uh, you know, sexual references and Indian innuendo. There's nudity. There's a lot of things on there that you just, you don't want kids to see. Adults don't even want to see it in, in a lot of cases. So there, they go on to kind of point out that they've had a boom in family content and that coincided with the rise in shared devices. So the likelihood of children watching YouTube without supervision increased exponentially over that time frame. In four months, they plan to restrict data collection on videos directed to, at children. They wanna treat data from anyone watching children's content on YouTube as coming from a child, regardless of the age of the user. So, you know, in other words, your kid's using your phone to watch kid content on YouTube. They know the phone is yours because they have all of your information, but they're going to assume that a child is watching it if it's children's content. And that is a safe assumption for them to make because it protects kids. And who cares about the sliver of Americans that are adults who are going to be watching children's content. You're going to get to advertise to them in other ways. The catch all is so complete that they don't have to worry about missing eyeballs on advertising. So, they also recommended that parents use their separate app, YouTube Kids, to let children under 13 watch on their own. Now, I want to add a parent caveat here. That is absolutely not what you should do because YouTube has already been caught marketing unsafe content to kids on their YouTube Kids app. So don't trust it just because it says kids. We covered this on the show. Um, Angry Mommy covered it. A bunch of different people who you know, are watchdogs for kids' content and for parents' have said that YouTube Kids is not something that you can just turn on and put your kid in front of it or hand it to your kid on a device and you know just assume it's going to be safe. It's not safe. It's just like anything else. You have to monitor it. In addition to the penalty, the settlement requires Google and YouTube to develop, implement, and maintain a system that permits channel owners to identify their child-directed content on the YouTube platform so that YouTube can ensure it is complying with the law. Well, we'll see how that works out, won't we? Um, so flipping over, we have this breach, another breach by Facebook. This time Facebook confirms that 419 million phone numbers have been exposed in their latest privacy lapse. The information was stored in an online server that was not password protected. An online server that was not password protected. You know, sometimes it feels like Facebook is run by a bunch of civilians like myself. Um, the kind of stuff that I would do or the mistakes that I would make because I'm not an info security person. I'm not a technology guru. I don't pretend to be one. It seems like the kinds of mistakes I would make is what they're making. Only they have how many thousands, tens of thousands of employees, all experts, people with degrees in IT. These are supposed to be the tip of the spear when it comes to InfoSec. And they, they just don't have any of it. No te- technology security, any of it. So it's hundreds of millions of Facebook users' phone numbers exposed in an open online database. They were literally, TechCrunch is reporting, a data set including 133 million records for users in the U.S., 18 million records for users in the U.K., and 50 million records for users in Vietnam. The database was taken offline after TechCrunch contacted the web host. Facebook confirmed the report and said they were investigating when and by whom the database was compiled. A spokeswoman for the company also claimed that the actual number of users whose information was exposed was approximately 210 million because the 419 million records contained duplicates. So they were likely amassed using a tool that Facebook disabled in April of 2018 after the aftermath of the Cambridge Analytica controversy. The revelation showed how Facebook's lax approach to privacy had allowed a political consultancy to obtain personal information from tens of millions of profiles. Until then, Facebook allowed anyone to search for users by their phone number. Wow. So we remember this. We remember how they had this, you know, user search by phone number, all that good drama. And what they did was, interestingly enough, they ended up having to take that off because well it was again it was it was a way that people could stalk you, you know? (laughs) I just think on on all of these things, it's like someone says, Oh, this is a great idea. And then someone is like, Yeah, let's just do it. And then they do it and then they realize, oh my goodness, this is a horrible idea. And then they have to kind of backtrack, but not until after something bad has happened. So Anyway, um, link to that story also over at com for today's episode. And now a little bit of karma because it's Friday and usually we have good news Friday. Um, And the good news for today's Friday, today's good news Friday is that Dr. Walter E. Williams was on the show and I got to interview him. Um, But this is from friend of the show, Wayne Dupree. He says karma. Samuel L. Jackson says he's happy to lose fans over his anti-Trump rants. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. His latest movie has just bombed. According to Observer.com, Shaft was a worldwide flop. The movie cost about $35 million to make and only grossed a worldwide dismal $16 million. It's listed as one of the biggest box office flops of 2019. Unbelievable. So the production and promotion budget... Um, was just, it actually was pretty good. Um, It's pretty, like they spent a good amount of money on this. This was not a budget movie. It wasn't, they they didn't like cut corners and it still flopped. Now, mind you, let's be real here. Who do you know or even think might be interested in watching a remake of the movie Shaft? Like if you're thinking about uh, stuff you want to do, um, things you're interested in, in listening to, watching, etc. Does at any point you you think to yourself, "Yeah, it's Shaft. I want to. I want to. That's what I've been dying to see is is a remake of Shaft. Unbelievable. Um, unbelievable. So it was no good. So um, all right. Pivoting over to guns now. Tucker Carlson actually has he's been going back and forth over the announcement from earlier this week. Remember Walmart CEO came out and he's calling for gun control. Um he's 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 really he's playing into the liberals hands. And I I did I I'll just restate for the record. Nothing that Walmart does is going to stop liberals from hating them. So they might as well stop playing the abused, you know, spouse role and just come out and be who they are. Be a giant retailer that millions and millions of Americans, every American really, shops at and utilizes. Even people who say, I don't shop at Walmart. Then the next time you see them, you're like, oh, we're, yeah, we, we had to go to Walmart for school supplies. They did, everyone shops there. So just stop acting like you don't. Um, so Tucker Carlson is actually calling out CEO Doug McMillan, who was all this week, he spent just running around with flapping his gums about gun control. He wants Congress to ban semi-automatic rifles. Um, And so, of course, liberals are like, wait, is he talking about gun control? We'll be friends with him for today. As long as he's saying things we like, we're friends with him. But we're never going to stop hating them for being successful. But anyway, so um, Walmart has been the target of coordinated attacks from the left. Progressives have accused the company of destroying small towns, exploiting workers, and they're basically trying to purchase immunity from the criticism by calling for gun control. Now, Tucker Carlson has called him out for that. And, um, one of the, the kind of great things about Tucker Carlson's show is that he continually defies the narrative of what even someone on Fox news on an opinion program should be. A lot of, uh, attacks come at him people try to get rid of his advertisers he sustained a coordinated attack Um, about a year ago year and a half ago they were literally peeling his advertisers off and he stayed the course and he's still there and he still has advertisers and he's not going anywhere it's it takes a strong constitution to do the work that he does and and it's a lesson for all of us not to buckle not to cave Um, just report the truth and if your opinions make people mad, you know, you're over the target, which is a good place to be. If, if you're going to be out there, you might as well be all the way out there. Um, so speaking of guns, um, I want to do a quick Second Amendment report because I, I, I can't begin to tell you how much I love the fact that we get to do these again.
0: It's Stacy on the right, and this is the Second Amendment Report.
1: Yeah, so The Blaze is reporting that a Houston, Texas woman used her firearm to defend herself from five male suspects when they attempted to rob her early on Tuesday. Now, she says she's in disbelief that she was able to walk away from the incident unharmed, telling a local news station, I saved my life. She arrived home, Lachelle Hudgens, around 2.30 a.m. on Tuesday, As she pulled into her apartment complex, she noticed a group of men lingering together roughly 20 yards away. According to Hudgens, the suspects approached her vehicle. Two of them reached inside her open passenger window, grasped her purse as she tried to roll it up. The story said Hudgens reached inside her purse, grabbed her handgun before the suspects could. She fired the only two rounds left in the firearms, striking one of the perpetrators, and she was able to defend herself. So a couple of personal safety tips from me to you. I care for you. I think it's wise to be better, uh, you know, when you're out in the world and especially when you're by yourself and nothing good happens outside the house after midnight. But if you're going to be out after midnight running around by yourself as a woman, you need to be situationally aware. So my father always taught me that even in the summer, if you're riding around by yourself, it isn't wise to ride around with your windows down. It isn't. Now, if you're on the highway and you're riding around with your windows down, Awesome. It's going to be loud, but you can do that. But if you're riding around in residential areas where groups of people are, you know, standing around, milling around, why would you have your windows down? You put your windows up. That's first thing. Second thing, you see a group of individuals and you're by yourself, then maybe you circle the block, maybe you don't go in, maybe you call a friend. That's why it's bad to be out by yourself at 2:30 in the morning coming back from someplace trying to go into your apartment complex right so be wise about your um your your you have to be situationally aware wise about your surroundings you observe people's behavior you make eye contact you decide for yourself um is this you know is this a a does this feel good does this feel safe to me and if it doesn't go someplace else. You, if you're driving, you have, you're have you're under your own control. You can decide not to park someplace where a group of men are standing nearby. You can decide not to get into an elevator if you're the only one and there's a man and you're going to be on there by yourselves. Um, you can decide not to go into a hallway to access the stairwell if it's not well lit, or if you're alone and you hear voices and you're not sure who's on the other end. Make decisions to protect yourself. Um, so I want to say thanks, huge thanks to everybody who's been sharing the show and to the Patreon supporters. Thank you so much. Thank you to people who have been sending in uh, support via PayPal. I appreciate you. And I'm looking forward to I I know I teased an announcement that was going to be coming. It is still coming. But it's been pushed back a little bit. And I have to abide by the embargo rules. But I will let you know as soon as we know we're able to share, we will be sharing. Until then, have a fantastic weekend. Stacey Washington. Stacy on the is where you can find my articles. I have another one up at townhall.com. All right. Until Monday, get in the pew this weekend and have a fantastic time.
0: The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them, but I think in reality he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong.
1: Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives. But he was there beside me. And my love for him was just immense.
0: When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council.